0: Log Talk Radio. We'll go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rigor fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron grapes. Welcome to Gridiron greats. Goodbye. <laughs> on the Gridiron Greeks Publishing and Broadcasting Network. We're live. North Carolina home, Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swift, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. Cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia, you can find this on the web at com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, who's a senior contributing writer to Good Iron Grades magazine, of Football, Memorabilia Historic, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Lund. He yes. hails Portland, Oregon. Mr. Jasper, Jeff, Jeff,
1: welcome to the show this evening. Yes, yes. Happy to be here, Captain. Good morning to you.
0: I was gonna. I should rephrase that. Welcome to the show this morning because of our scheduling today and our special guests coming up. Uh, we're doing a uh, for you a very very early morning show for me, Good morning <laughs> show. So this should be should uh, be interesting. But in any event, it's good to be back in the football world. There's so much going on in the NFL. It's not even funny. I don't know where this money is coming from, but it is. Oh my God. And I I, I just do not understand what's going on. It is not oh the game I once Not even funny. <laughs> it's not even funny right now. But uh, I, what I don't understand, what is going on in Cleveland? I,
1: I guess uh, Baker's gone. I don't know. I mean, what's going on with him? Wow, Deshaun Watson! Uh, Deshaun Watson last night, night signed with the Browns, and I had no idea there was uh, any angst in Cleveland with uh, with Baker. I mean, you take all of his uh, the commercials he does, you know, for you know, like Allstate oh. Insurance protecting my home. Man,
0: I don't get it. I, oh. I really don't get it. I don't. I don't know what's going to Are they converting him, or is he going to be the highest paid backup quarterback <laughs> in uh,
1: history? Or in, what, what in is, NFL history, uh, $230 million, dollars, uh, Deshaun Watson. And the Seahawks obviously shipped, you know, uh, as we mentioned last year, or, or last week, Russell Wilson, you know, to Denver. So their, yeah. their quarterback, I heard they were making a run at Deshaun Watson. But uh, about two days ago, he said firmly, no, no Seattle, but uh, Cleveland. Yeah. Think about that. Three years ago, they, they almost went winless, and now they're the – now they're where, the, where people want to go.
0: Jeez. And I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I, I'm really wondering if it's going to be the premier backup if anything happens to – but, again, I could, I could be completely wrong. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I think what I think – uh, it's the same thing with Adams going to the Raiders. Oh, um, man. I, that I, – I had heard, you know – privately through my connections saying he he apparently has some sort of business interest. I don't know necessarily in Nevada or the West, um, but they made him the offer. He took it in a way. It's a good thing for the Packers because they are loading up on the draft picks, which maybe they can, you know, trade off to get somebody Rogers can throw at this year to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I don't, I, you know, in a way, I get it, in a way, I don't get it. And I'm, like I said, pub- publicly before, uh, the NFL is a business today, pure and simple. Loyalty does that. There's such a,
1: no, no such thing as loyalty, one way or the other. Yeah. A, it you know it's what you said. I mean, it's a bit. It's becoming more and more. It, it's always been a business. All you have to do is think about, you know, Bill Walsh, I, and I go back to this. Bill Walsh cutting. Joe Montana, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks right. ever, up until we saw Tom Brady, <clears throat> brought four rings, you know, to San Francisco. At some point, Bill Walsh cut him. That's a business. And Montana played mm-hmm. another what three years in Kansas City. Three That's years, a business yeah. decision. Yep. A couple years later, Bill yep. Walsh cut yep. Jerry Rice. Without a doubt, the greatest receiver in the in NFL history. Cut Jerry Rice, and he went on to play for the Raiders, uh, and then obviously retired in Seattle, where he had great love for the Seahawks. Uh, I always think of Jerry Rice as a Seahawk. I forget (laughs) forget who, what team he played for. Anyways, but I mean, you know, we've got Joe Namath as a Ram. We've got John Unitas, uh, you know, uh, know, as a you know as a Charger. I mean, Franco Harris as a Seahawk. It's always been a business. I I don't know what it is. Is it now all of a sudden front and center on us? I mean, or is it, is it more prevalent now than it was in the past? Well, I think
0: it's more prevalent. Number one, because the amount of money being thrown at everybody there under, under the um, disguise of calling it a salary cap, which I don't see how you can even say it's a salary cap cap, because it's all uh, loopholes, uh, loopholes everywhere for it. So it's, you know, it, it's just a plain business. It's, it's basically, you know, you look at retail target versus Walmart. That's basically you got 30, 32 targets and 32 Walmarts going at each other. That's what it comes down to. So it's uh, crazy, crazy very, very unsettling, very unsettling. Adams bothered me in, initially, yeah. but then afterwards I, I, you know, I, I looked at it a little more rationally and I just said, Hey, this is a business now. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to be surprised at anything going on anymore, anywhere with how many hundreds of millions d- of dollars they're going to throw at anybody is what it is, and that's it. So it's uh, yeah, it'll I mean, be it remain- Devontae sure. Adams.
1: It, it's easy to say, oh well, you know. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the guy's uh, you know a draft. He's he's great. He's great for Rogers. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. got to be more yeah. to that. you know, than money. Yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I still say
0: I still say there there's something going on behind the scenes. We'll never find out about it. And you know, the people that talk to me can give me every kind of. When Favre was when Farr was retiring, you would not believe the stuff I heard about it. I mean, it was just comical after a while. And I just finally said to a couple guys there, I said, just listen. The guy wants to play. He he made a poor decision. They're moving on to Rogers. It's done. You know. And I really thought after the Jets, he was gonna—he was just gonna hang it up. But then to go to the Vikings—I mean, the ultimate insult. I mean, it's—it's it's crazy. Yeah. Totally crazy. But whatever. We'll see what happens. Well, before I get some yeah. done, I want to spend a little a little time on uh, our pregame discussion, and we're going to talk a little bit about football publications. The football publication market, to me, is uh, a very interesting market. It's something I've heavily collected over the years. I'm good friends with two publication-only dealers uh, back in the uh, East Coast. And long story short, I find it interesting because we're we're moving to what, um, what amounts to being a paperless society, especially when it comes to sports as a lot of game programs are no longer being published. Tickets are now electronically produced. Pocket schedules, as we talked to Judy Bartlett a few uh-huh. weeks ago, are rare now. Um, long story short, there's a lot less paper being generated as far as the game of, uh, of, of any sport is concerned. So what I feel very strongly about, and we've had this discussion numerous times over the past 10 years, is that, A, anything before World War Two is is always going to command a massive premium. My dealer friends agree with me. They say, you know, anytime they get a, a 1920s or a 1930s game program in, it's pretty much sold within a very short period of time. But what I'm not, yeah. I do understand and I don't understand is the classic sports runs of football, and I'm going to name Street and Smith. From 1940 on, I'm going to name the classic football magazines uh, of the 50s and 60s and some of these, Pro Sports, dull Sports, uh, the Sports Illustrated, Sport Magazine, the Sporting News. Those are publications that are pretty much all gone today. I mean, you go to a newsstand, well, newsstand, if you go find anywhere that actually sells magazines today, you're going to see a very, very limited amount of actual magazines. You're going to see more um, like the Beckett Price guys magazine, then yep. you are going to see yep. a regular sports magazine per se. So to me, those older football publications, and I'm going I'm to go from World War II, 1945, right up to when everything started to be shut down as far as print is concerned, and that's starting in the early 2000s. Um, we're seeing, uh, uh, to me, uh, just a market waiting to be picked at and the market waiting to be collected. And what do I mean by that? All right, you're a Seahawk collector, for example. I'll use you as an example. Mm-hmm. You're a Seahawk collector and you, and you love your Seahawks and you've been with them from day one. So you're going to try to acquire, in, in addition to your collection, all the different things that have a Seahawk player on the front of them. For example, any Street in Smiths that had a Seahawk player on it, any Sport Magazine, Sporting News, and Sports Illustrated, You know, there's a lot of different regional magazines that possibly have Seahawk players on. You want to try to find and collect those for your collection. That's just collection number one, example number one. Other collectors, long time, for example, New York Giant football fans trying to collect everything from uh, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, and they basically stop in the early 70s. They also, the other New York type Giant collector collects everything from the 80s and 90s through the Eli Manning era. And they stop at that point. And, again, there's not, not going to be that much to collect right now. And we really haven't seen much to collect as far as that is concerned, uh, especially with football media guides, as a lot of teams are now switching their media guides to um, electronic publication. It's interesting. The Packers are still producing their, their yearbook, and they're still producing their media guides. So that's a good sign, but I don't know of any NFL team, other NFL team, that's actually doing a yearbook anymore. At one time, most of the teams did it, and now it's 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 few and far between trying to find them. So it's a, it's how the market and where the market is going, so on and so forth. I know I've done shows, and you've seen my table at several shows. I had a lot of publications, not just football, but other publications. And it was always hit or miss some shows i or some nationals I would go to I basically would sell all my publications and other uh shows I would not sell any so it was it was pretty interesting to see yeah. you know the what the market was doing what what everybody's looking at, and so on and so forth so i always I've always said to collectors if you reach the point in your collection where you, you're pretty much you know you're at a dead end. Why not look at publications, you know? And again, you don't have to go, you know, if you're a New York Giant fan, you don't need to collect every media guy from 19, you know, from the 30s on type of thing. You could collect where you find them, so on and so forth. And what's scary to me is, in a way, is some publications are just being given away completely. And other publications are, you know, very much in demand. Therefore, they're always going to command a higher price. So it's interesting to see what's going on in the market, as far as as far as football publications are concerned, uh, again, yeah. I, it's an overlooked part of our, market, of our collectible market, and I really believe very strongly um, there's some really serious bargains out there uh, for collectors to add to their collection. And I, I really, I really think that, you know, if, if you want to do something different, now's the time. Now's the time to make the move and, and look and, and collect whatever you're you're going to collect. Uh, I will say this, most in-demand publication for the teams in the NFL continue to be the Packers, the Cowboys, yep. the Bears, and uh, the New York Giants. That's been my my, um, my view of it for the past few years. The Brady era for the Patriots has also commanded a lot of collecting of Brady-related programs, so on and so forth. So that that's something to look at at the same time.
1: So <clears throat> oh, anyway, uh, I, we we're talking... Uh, we were talking about. Before. Oh, I'm sorry. Is our guest here? Go ahead. That's like I was talking about before the show. Yep. I just I, I collect concert tickets. I collect, you know, ticket stubs and programs from Red Grange's playing ga- days. Uh, I mean, and that stuff's gone. Now. There's no ticket stubs. There, uh, you know, I no concert tickets, no football tickets, no no none of any sort. It's uh, it's it's tough right. for us people who love to collect those trinkets. Yep.
0: And you know, again, it's, um, it's the paper collectible that can add so much to a collection—the pocket schedule, the ticket stub, the uh, media guide, the the team yearbook, uh, the team program, so on and so forth. And again, I, I you know, I, I know I'm I'm old school, but I always thought attending a game, no matter what sport it was, I would make sure I'd pick up a program, and I, w- I would always save my ticket stub. Yep. So. And you know I, I can see other people and I can re- I I remember years ago reading an article in the sporting news back in the 1980s where a dealer was saying this is back in the early days of collecting the early 1980s he says he sees more people um, going to a baseball game he was using baseball an example as an example going to a baseball game and they would at the end of the game throw their their program out. Forget about the ticket stuff. That'd be a bad mm-hmm. thing. And it's just amazing to see how much has been uh, gone. I mean, disposed of over the years. That's never going to come back, number one, and it's never going to be able to um, be collected again. So it's 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 a major a major problem um, as far as where we're, we're going to see. This part of the hobby going, if it's just going to be, an, you know, an ending for that part of of the hobby, which, you in know, a, in a, in a, to me, it, it's going to be one way or the other. If you're not going to produce any more paper ticket stubs, ticket stub collecting is going to be very, very uh, limited in the future. And at the same time, the um, the issue that we that we've always seen with regard mm-hmm. to, uh, you know. How, how does the next set of uh, the next set of collectors uh, come back to the market? You know that, that kind of thing. So it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the long run with that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's disappointing in a way for me because again, it's it's such a a great part of the hobby that I think a lot of um, Individuals really, in a way, don't realize it. Don't realize it's there, so on and so forth, and and they overlook
1: it, and uh, it becomes problematic
0: to say the least. Yeah, so. I,
1: I have framed ticket stubs from uh, concerts I've been to that I just you know hanged in my office, uh, and I love it. It's such a good you know memory. I come on calls, I'll walk over, right. and look at them, and remember all the all the stubs. I took my son, Xander, to his first concert uh, last week. It's a digital ticket. So what I did is I took a screenshot of the ticket, and I printed it out in color, and that's his ticket. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Wow.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But it is what it is, and that's it. All right, we're still, uh, still waiting for our guests to log in here so we got a got a few more few more minutes before you'll he,
1: uh, be here so let's uh you're, you're you're right about programs too bob because uh i uh probably about five six years ago i was like you know what i want a program from every single game of the seahawks inaugural season okay so you know you find the you find the schedule you start looking on ebay you start you know and uh and I think I made it to, like, you know, 11 of them and, and no more. It's – all these little tangents of things you can collect. Ticket stubs from every game. I mean, uh, you know, ticket stub from the first touchdown pass, Largent caught. Ticket stub from the first – I do have a, a – from the first win the Seattle Seahawks ever had, which was against the oh, lowly Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> that year. Yeah. I think yep, – yep. Seahawks started off in the NFC West. I think we played, you know, before switching to the AFC West in 77. And I think uh, we played Tampa Bay twice that year. And that was, so I think Seattle went 2-12 14-game season. Our only two wins were against the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers went 0-14 that year, I think. Both of us expansion teams. So, uh, wow. Yeah. Well,
0: Well, you know, know. again, that's, that's 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 a real neat collectible because uh realistically how many of them survived you know and again it's a first first game uh it's it's amazing you know get a th- you know how many actually su- survived out of how many fifty thousand tickets you know a couple thousand at the most maybe oh yeah that I mean, could be completely oh, off yeah. or everybody just made them type of thing. so um it's interesting that's to been- see. I know a lot of guys... I, I know a lot of collectors were collecting Fards um, games with the with the Packers, and uh, that's a tough collectible. And I know that a lot of guys started it with Rogers also. But what did you do starting in uh, in the twenty season, twenty twenty season, and when everything went to um, everything went to digital? So I don't know. It's interesting, mm-hmm. interesting to see what's going to happen. So
1: in the in the long run.
0: Yeah, yeah, no,
1: it's it's yeah, it's tough. It, I mean, it, you know, we've also brought up, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, I mean, like, uh, you know, I keep remembering this, but Carl, you know, once mentioned, he's like, you know, you, we we don't think about paper drives, you know, uh, right, you know, right. just all all these 20 tickets. You just you just mentioned it's like fifty thousand people attend a Red Grange game, you know, what percentage of people just throw the ticket on the ground? what percentage people go home and it gets lost you know that normally gets set on the kitchen counter and thrown away by your wife like you know like most things and then it's got to survive paper drives it's got to survive you know i mean some of the tickets i have are coming up on 100 years old it's got to survive you know being stuffed in an attic you know uh flood fire tornado i mean you know all of it uh you know you know insects eating it In you know when it's stuffed away in the attic i mean uh you know, accidentally throwing out all of it, and to make it into our hands. Yep. I mean, out of the fifty thousand, how how many of them are there? And it's it's such a cool little uh, it's such a cool little, you know, facet of the hobby to to you know to collect. I don't know. I I, I love collecting them. To me, I love looking up where the seat is in the stadium, and then yep. seeing yep. where my ticket is from a from a hundred year old game, and then you know just kind of like wow, that was, those were good seats. You
0: know, you know, never.
1: You know, it's it's
0: it's interesting because it's so historical. It's so, such a part of uh, the collecting world, and uh, again, it, it's it's going to be a little sad to see. Uh, you know what happens in the future, what direction it goes to. You know that kind of, that kind of situation. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing with cards. You know, it, it, again, not knowing what um, the new company is going to do taking over TAPs and taking over all the the licenses, you know, what are they going to produce, digital cards? Uh, what are they going to produce, uh, just ones of ones or, or just produce cards? could be really up in the air one way or the other with regards to what direction Card, football cards are going So I, I don't know. I don't understand the, um, you know, the direction, the view of what's going to happen uh with regards to it and that's it. Well you're listening to our podcast, yeah. Greats, if not a subscriber, Iron Greats magazine, what are you waiting for? Gridiron for all subscription uh information. We're waiting for our guest. Um I I sent a uh quick email out to him. our our guest is overseas, so I I <laughs> wanna make sure make sure uh we got all our uh Ts crossed and I's dotted here, but this was the <laughs> scheduling of the time, so this could be
1: a Joe and Bob uh two minutes, minutes. It, it is uh it is a military exercise for Bob to schedule this sometimes. I'm on the west coast. I'm in Portland, Oregon. It's seven AM here. Seven thirty now. Bob's on the on the east coast, three hours ahead of me. And we invited a guest from London, England, who's, you know, what, eight yeah. hours uh ahead. No. <laughs> yeah, eight ahead of me. Yeah. No, no. So he's four and he's
0: four ahead, so when, of, uh, ahead of me, eight, yeah. eight hours from you. So we all agree to the so, the timing, so I we, I honestly
1: don't know what what happened with. So, so when so Bob sends an email out to coordinate this, there's been many times where it's like you know, hey, Joe, can you do a, you know, so I mean, poor Bob is, you know, like when he invites me, it's like, all right, it's two o'clock your time, five o'clock my time. And then if we have somebody in Texas, it's two o'clock Joe's time, four o'clock their time, five o'clock my time. I mean, it's almost comical sometimes where we just have to (laughs) narrow that down. And this email chain was one of the funniest because we, you were scheduling this before daylight savings went in effect. And they don't have that, so we you really had to go to work. It was almost fun yeah. to watch. Uh, well, said, <laughs> daylight
0: daylight savings time is is uh, tonight for him, so that's so then it would have been yep. um, we would have been three o'clock his time because you put the, put the hour ahead. So I don't get it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, whatever, whatever. I I'm at <laughs> at the stage of the this stage of the of the game. It is what it is, and that's it. So uh, this has only happened a couple of times in, in almost ten years of doing this, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. But anyway, sure, yeah. um, shift, shifting gears, uh, one more one more time, uh, an update at the uh, the new home of Gridiron Great Greats magazine here in Southport, North Carolina. I got a delivery during the week of uh, two bookcases slash um um uh, bookcases. So they're they're basically four shelves and they're basically four draws underneath them. Oh, okay. I'm I'm gonna I think we got
2: somebody here, hova. Jane, is that you? It is. I'm so sorry guys. My okay. internet picked at terrible time to completely fail on me. So I've been I'm dialing um over the internet from here in the UK, and everything kind of failed about half an hour ago. But uh, I'm back oh, up boy. now.
0: Okay. All right. So we, we <laughs> saved. Up. Welcome, Welcome to the show. About my, we're, we're going to talk about my bookcases that just came in this past week for my office here. All right. I'd like to introduce you before we get started. Uh, our special guest sure. tonight is a writer and editor based in London, in the United Kingdom. He's been an NFL fan since the mid 1980s. He started Pitch Books website in 2018 as a resource for fans of football books. He also helps to run the United Kingdom Ravens Twitter account and is a regular on the United Kingdom's Raven podcast.
2: I'd like to welcome
0: to our show this morning, Mr. Shane Richmond. Shane, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yep.
0: And I'm going to lead off immediately by asking if you could tell our audience, Shane, how'd you start following United States football?
2: Sure. So um, in the 80s, um, we we got a new TV channel here in the UK which had a remit to uh, show stuff that was different to what was available on other channels. And so in the early 80s, they started showing the NFL. And I started watching, I think, in the 85 season, when I would have been uh, Eleven years old, and was just completely hooked. I'd never seen the game before, but you know the uniforms, the fact that people were the players were wearing helmets. There were games that were played indoors, which soccer games here aren't. Um, so there was all this amazing stuff going on in domes and all sorts, and um, and it was fascinating to watch, even though I didn't understand the rules or anything. So I started. Uh, getting books from the library to kind of teach myself the rules and watching uh, every week um, and became a fan from then, basically.
0: Wow. What a great story.
2: It's actually cool. (laughs) Yeah, and it's quite common with a lot of of British people my age got into the sport at around that time. Um, And the stuff that was being shown on TV, it was kind of 6 p.m. our time, which is actually – 1 p.m. In, on the East Coast, which is when the games kick off. But they didn't have live games then, so they would be showing us on Sunday at 6 p.m. the highlights of the previous week's games. So we were a week behind. Once you started to get into following oh. a particular team, you had to wait until the results of that Sunday's game were in the newspaper on a Tuesday morning to find out whether your team had, had won or lost, because obviously before the Internet, there was no way to, to get instant updates on what was going on. So it was... It was kind of weird being a fan back in those days, but it was for for a good few years in the middle of the 80s. It was quite a popular sport here in the UK, and then it kind of sort of faded into the background a little bit.
1: That's funny. This is Joe, by the way. We we're, we were emailing back and forth Yeah, the, uh, the electrical company email. Right on. Thanks for being on the on the show. We appreciate it. But uh, that, it's funny. Your story is, I, I mentioned I lived in London with an aunt when I was uh, in high school, you know, for a while. And she got me into cricket in the same way, and I just remember oh, okay, being right. fascinated by it. It's like, all right well how do you do this a wicket and then and and then going to a park and playing with some people in the park and just and then for a long time following cricket it was fun but uh I uh, wanted to move over your what your website pigskin books i i i've I've been perusing it for the last couple uh or for the last week or so <clears throat> great website uh it's Thanks. Just really Thanks. well put together but I, I noticed one of the topics on there is uh the top 5 books for Cincinnati Bengals fans. Yeah, and I was I saw that there was a, the previous one was top 5 books for New Orleans Saints fans. I couldn't find the topic top 5 books for Seattle Seahawks fans. I'm a Seahawks fan, a fan. And then I got to thinking, are there five books on Seattle Seahawks?
2: That's a good question actually. <laughs> and I'm and I'm not sure there are some of the teams that don't yeah. have a deep selection of of books. The Panthers are another one. Obviously, they're a newer team than the Seahawks.
1: Um,
2: But there isn't one that comes to mind immediately about the Seahawks. I mean, every team has, uh, you know, some biographies of big players, and so there'll be some of those around. And then when when a team wins a Super Bowl, like the Seahawks did a few years ago, there are companies that will put out kind of the story of the year and that sort of stuff. But the kind of books where somebody sort of goes into the history of the team or, or uh spends a year with the team or well, that kind of stuff. Um there are yep. a few teams that don't don't have a big um catalog of those and I think the Seahawks are are one. I mean my plan is the website's been slightly dormant for a while because I haven't had time to to add to it. But my plan is to to have something on every single team at you know by sure. by by the end of it. But it's um it's still at a point where there's a, there's a handful of teams where I don't have anything. I don't have any yeah. Seahawks stuff at all. Yeah.
1: Well, two of the five top books for the Bengals are about Paul Brown, so they're obviously yeah, living, exactly. you know, living on their on their resting on their laurels there. But tell us about your website, how you got it started, and you know, what what the focus is.
2: Well, I started reading. I mean, like I say, when I was into first into the sport in the '80s, one of the ways that I taught myself what was going on was by getting books out of the library and, and learning the rules that yeah, way. So I'd kind of got used to reading about football from, from when I was first interested in it. But um, uh, my wife is, is from Maryland. And uh, when we started dating, I would go out there. We'd usually go out for Thanksgiving from about the year 2000. And one of the things I would always do is go to a bookshop and have a look at the, the American football books section because bookstores here in the UK didn't have any, NFL books or American football books so I would come back with three or four each year Um, and it was always quite tricky to find out which ones I should be reading you know which ones were the ones that were really interesting the ones that people talked about and I would find a few little lists you know the kind of 10 football books you must read that sort of thing but there was nothing that kind of went deeper than that and gave you a bit of a guide to what the books were about or allowed you to to find books about a particular team or a particular era. And so in the end, once I got to a point where I had quite a few football books myself, I thought, well, I'll just start a website. I'll start the website that I would have liked to have had around when I started getting football books. And so that's been the aim of it. Hmm. Oh, interesting.
0: Good. How do, so I, 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 I can probably answer this next question. How did you become a fan of the, of the Baltimore Ravens?
2: Yeah, so my, my wife's family are in Maryland. So the first the first Thanksgiving I went over there was uh, 2000. And they asked if there was anything that I wanted to do while I was there. And I said, well, the one thing I'd really like to do is go to an NFL game because I'd never been – an NFL game in the U.S. We actually had exhibition games here in in the U.K. in the 80s, so I saw Dan Marino and Joe Montana play a preseason game Uh, uh, at Wembley in London, Um, but obviously preseason games haven't got the same kind of atmosphere and tension, and by the time you got to the fourth quarter, it was a bunch of guys playing that you've you've never heard of, so I wanted to go to a real (laughs) regular season game. Um, And my wife's family actually were all fans of of Washington. They'd, They'd all been Washington fans, like most of their lives, and they said well we 'd normally be able to get you tickets because we 'd know someone who 's got spare tickets but i think I think washington were playing." Dallas, it was either Dallas or Philly. It was a big divisional game, and nobody was giving up their tickets. So they said, there's no way we can get into that game. And I said, well, how far is Baltimore? Because Baltimore are playing at home. And they said, oh, yeah, we can get tickets for Baltimore. Baltimore are terrible. We'll get you tickets for that. (laughs) Um, So I went to see the the Ravens take on the Browns, um, and it was – It was the Ravens-Browns in in the year 2000. So they had, you know, they'd had a season at that point where nobody thought they were going to do very much. They'd had a few games in the middle of the season where they didn't score an offensive touchdown. Um, But I had, as I mentioned earlier, the first season that I got into the NFL was the 85 season where the Chicago Bears ended up winning the Super Bowl. And I loved defensive football. I loved watching that 85 Bears defense and the fact that you just couldn't do anything about them. You just couldn't move, um, which I found astonishing. And I saw the same kind of defense playing for the Ravens in 2000. So the, the Browns, I think, scored a touchdown on their first drive. They went for 70 yards or something to score a touchdown, took a 7 nothing lead. They never gained another 70 yards in the rest of the game. The Ravens' defense just completely took over. And it was extraordinary. I was just, uh, you know, my jaw what hit the floor watching it. What? This was 2000, what was so they called? didn't. This oh, was yeah. 2000. This was the 2000 Ravens, so they didn't lose again. They went on and won the Super Bowl. Um, completely, you know, addicted to the team after that. And I've, I've been lucky, and you know, I spoke to Brian Billick, who, who uh, for the website a while ago, and obviously he was the head coach at that game. And I said that was, you know, I've kind of got you to thank for being a Ravens fan because. It was that game that, that I went to. And he said, um, after that first drive, Ray Lewis came off the field to, and said to him, don't worry, coach, we got this. It's going to be fine. Uh, and he said, and he was just like, yeah, they just, they, it was fine. They, was, they, was, they just completely took it over. Um, so it was an incredible first game, and that was, that was kind of what sold me as a Ravens fan. You
1: picked a hell of a game to go to. Oh, I love it. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, and just complete wow. luck. I mean, oh. it could have been, you know, it could have been anything. I could have ended up watching Washington, Dallas or whatever and, and picking one of those teams. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah we've
1: got too many Dallas Cowboys <laughs> fans as it is. I'm glad you picked the Ravens. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, on your website, on the Ravens uh, Twitter feed, never over is one of the, you know, phrases that's in your backdrop. I, I, I've, I'd never heard it out associated with the Ravens. Where'd that come from?
2: It started last season because they had so many ridiculous endings last season. There were so many games that came down to the final play or the last couple of minutes and they didn't win all of them. In fact quite a lot of them they lost. But they had started this um this this slogan of never over that for the for the twenty twenty one Ravens they were never out of the game. So we were over in Maryland at, at Christmas and I was lucky enough to go and see the Ravens take on the Packers. And going to that game, oh. if you if you followed the Ravens last year, you'll know that they lost so many guys to injury. By the time they faced the Packers, Lamar Jackson wasn't there, so Tyler Huntley was playing at quarterback. There were a bunch of guys playing defensive back who I have never heard of, and I just was going to the game thinking, well, the Ravens are going to get destroyed by the Packers. But at least I'll get to see them. I haven't seen them for a couple of years because of the pandemic and stuff. At least I'll be at the game, and it'll be fun. Um, and as it was, the Ravens put on an incredible performance and it came down again to the, the, pretty much the final play. They went for a two-point conversion, which they didn't get and lost the game by a point. Um, and it was incredibly exciting. And to go into that, they had so many games like that last season where you went into it thinking, there's no way they can do anything with this. They've got too many guys injured. And somehow they would take it right up to the wire, even if they didn't win. So that's where that never <laughs> over thing came from.
1: I love it. Wow. It's funny how you become how you become a fan of a certain team. You know, just like you it do. is it's serendipitous. Just just like you did, you know, there with Baltimore. I mean I'm I'm in Oregon. You know, and you you know, right. you might yeah. not know where Oregon is. We're basically California's attic. Uh
2: <laughs>
1: and the closest team is the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> I mean, I I my yeah. parents just grew up watching it and I just became it, but you know. It you know I don't know. It, it's 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 always interesting how people became fans, but uh, you're, you're, yeah, I, I dig your website. Uh, you, you have to have some interesting stories about how you know content comes together. You know, just just to be creative and keep that going.
2: Yeah, I mean it's, um, it. it's it's always kind of it's been quite good fun as it starts to get noticed. So it doesn't have a massive audience, but it sort of it seems to be sort of a thousand visits or so a month, and it's become quite popular with. Certain other football writers or people who are really into football books and so on. So I had one instance a few years ago, for example, where somebody at a somebody an NFL team reached out to me and asked if I knew where they could find a copy of one of the books that I'd reviewed. Which is, uh, it's a book called um, What's It Called? Franchise Makers, uh, Salary Caps, and uh, I can't actually remember the title of it now. I'm just looking for it behind me. Sleepers, Busts, and Franchise Makers. That's it. Um, and it's a book that came out in the early 80s about the NFL draft. And um, so this team, this guy of the team reached out and said, could you, do you know where you can get a copy? Because I've asked Bill Polian, who's, you know, the former GM of the Colts and the Bills. I asked him if he had a copy and he didn't have a copy. He said, can you approach Cliff Crystal, who's one of the authors of the book and now works for the Packers? Oh, I think. I think he, writes, he writes for their website. Uh, they got in touch with him. He wrote the book. He doesn't even have a copy. And they saw that I had a review on my website and said, do you know where I can get one? And I said, well, um, you can't have my copy uh, because the copy I've got is the only one I've ever seen for sale. And it won't survive another reading. It's going to fall apart, Um, (laughs) (laughs) excuse me. And um, in the end, I've kind of kept in touch with him and we've got quite a good, because he's a book collector as well and we've developed quite a good relationship. In the end, he found out that the GM of the team had a copy so he borrowed the GM's copy. Um, which he put in a scanner so he scanned it to turn it into a PDF and I said weren't you worried that you were going to destroy this guy this, this guy's the GM you're going to destroy his book end up getting fired because you were in this trouble book but apparently it survived um, so that's been that's kind was kind of fun there was another guy who got in touch because <clears throat> his dad was a coach in the 70s and his dad has amassed this enormous book collection he sent me all these photos of this book collection and said you know my dad is is getting older now and he wants to sell his book collection and would you be interested in buying it? Um, and I said, well, I don't, I don't really have the money to to buy a massive book collection. And also I'm in London, so I have no idea how I can even get it shipped, but it was fascinating to look through all these photos and see some of the guy, some of the books this guy had collected. So that's been one of the most fun things about it is the people who get in touch who have this same passion for football books because it's it's much more of a niche than baseball books. Yeah. There's a big tradition of sort of literary baseball um, you know, books that have come out over the years, but um, but there are people who are really into football books and it's they're, they're just as dedicated. I think there's just fewer of them than for baseball. <clears throat> yep.
0: Yeah. There's defi- there's definitely fewer collectors of football books than baseball books, and uh, as somebody. I have a I have a reasonably large collection of football books, but um, again, there's so many books out there. You know, how mm, do you, yeah. what do you collect out there? While yeah, you know, how do you keep up with everything? And, and my enjoyment has always been going to a thrift shop or an antique store and picking up books there, or you know, like a tag sale or something like that, and seeing people getting rid of books. And um, but mm-hmm. again, in your case, how do you got to ship them to England. It's going to be difficult and very, very expensive, and uh,
2: it's, it's exactly. Tough, it does, I feel, for you. It does add to the cost. I mean, I know somebody who, um, who got a copy of Bill Walsh's Finding the Winning Edge, which is one of the most expensive football books. There's only, I, I forget how many copies were printed, but Bill Walsh never allowed it to be reprinted. So you can pay two or $300 right. for a copy. And I know somebody who found one in a second-hand bookstore for $10, um and it's just the, the most amazing find because obviously whoever owned the bookshop just hadn't looked it up online to see how much it was really worth so it's amazing what you can find in those kinds of sales
0: yeah it's it's, it's amazing to me i I've, I've picked up a lot of nice books over the years and uh, i continue to look for them and it, it's it's very interesting to 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 uh, see and collect um Please tell our audience about your uh, UK Ravens podcast that
2: you feel. Sure. So we've been you know, the Ravens are one of the newer franchises in, in the NFL, obviously. And um like I say, a lot of a lot of British fans got into the NFL in the eighties. So there are fan groups over here that have been running since the eighties. The UK Buccaneers fan group, for example, goes back to the eighties. Um, and the same with the Dolphins fan group. Uh, but the Ravens started you know, in the early 2000s, and it's taken longer to kind of build up the following. They've never been one of the, the trendier teams, uh, so we don't have the same kind of following that some of the big teams have. And a while ago, we started building up the following much more on Twitter, and there are guys on Facebook who've been building up a community there. And then um, about a year or so ago, A few of us decided, you know, actually, it might be it might be worth starting a podcast just so that people can um, people can kind of follow along the season with us. And I was I wasn't sure because I just thought, why are people going to listen to a handful of British guys talking about the Ravens when there are (laughs) the Ravens Ravens podcasts from people who are in Baltimore? (laughs) Um, But it's actually Bob and I think the same thing every show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it surprised me that you know we started it up and we get sort of two hundred, two hundred and fifty people listening to each episode. We've had some really good guests on. We're lucky enough to have a very good relationship with the Ravens, so we've had a couple of people from the Ravens come on. We had um, Bradley Bozeman, the center, who's the who was their Walter Payton Man of the Year. Um, unfortunately, just left the team yesterday to go to the Panthers, but we had him on uh last season so we've had some good guests on and people yeah people do seem to to like it and it's been really good fun doing it actually it's quite nice to spend a couple of hours one evening a week just chatting about football with your friends it's you know it's it's good fun yep.
1: yeah i couldn't agree more i tell bob i you know i i get the best seat in the house i get to sit and talk <laughs> football with a with a, with a friend
2: yeah absolutely no it's it's fun to be able to do that and particularly like i say here in the u k where it's still a minority sport so i don't i don't know anybody in my day to day life who's an n f l fan and the other guys who i do the podcast with are spread all over the country i mean we've only we've only met up in person once um so it's you know it's 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 a good way of of keeping in touch with fellow fans
1: okay now now i'm curious i mean do you do you watch football? Uh, do, have you attended that many more games live, like when the you know the NFL is you know really trying to go over and you know play games at Wembley, you know and uh, mm-hmm. you know in London, and uh, yeah, do you watch football? Like, is that something you turn on at six o'clock at night as you're winding down on a Sunday to just catch a game or anything like that? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So I have um, Game Pass. We have the we are a slight NFL Game uh-huh. Pass is slightly different in the UK to the U.S. version, but NFL Game Pass here gives you every game live, so you can watch any of the games live, or you can watch them back, so I watch all of the Ravens games live, uh, and then I'll watch oh, wow. highlights of the other ones through through the week, um, and the London games, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't go to the London games last season, but that was the first season I hadn't gone, so up until that point, I'd gone to all of them so like 18 or 19 of them i guess um just because it's an opportunity to see football over here which you know it's much harder obviously to to see a game in the us because you've got to travel all that way but you know when i go to the us i always try and see games so i've seen plenty of games at baltimore but i've gone to some washington games i've got some games in jacksonville um I flew to Chicago once to see the Ravens playing in Chicago. So I've been, to, I've been to quite a few games. And, uh, and, yeah, when I'm not able to get to a game, I'm always watching the games here live if I can.
1: That's really cool. Do you, do you collect football items? Like, you know, Bob and I are avid football collectors, uh, cards, mm-hmm. programs, you know, ticket stubs, you know, et cetera. I mean, do, do you collect football?
2: I don't really. I've got some. I mean, other than you know, I've got about two hundred books or so um, on football. So the the book uh, collection is probably is probably the thing. But I've got um, a couple of signed Ravens helmets that I've picked up over the years. I've got a a, sign, a football signed by Joe Flacco. Um, I've got a couple of signed jerseys that I still need to to get framed. I've got a Lamar Jackson signed jersey that I need to. Get in a frame and put on my office wall. So I've got some little bits and pieces of sort of collectible stuff, but I don't have anything specific that I collect. Hmm.
1: Why not? That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 interesting to be. I guess I guess that makes sense to be a fan and not, you know, collect. I mean, because for me, it 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 just became a fan of the you know the Seahawks and then. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was watching during the era of Steve Largent, became a Steve Largent fan, and next thing you know, you're looking for cards and stuff like that, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the cards, I'm always fascinated by the cards because we don't have them here. And then when I go to the States, I see them. And I've never really managed to, to figure out, there seem to be so many and such like a huge range of these cards that you can get. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not something that's part of, of UK sporting culture particularly so I'd never really managed to get into it
0: yeah I'm just curious do they do they have soccer cards over there for all the um, like Manchester United they, they don't they don't really promote that kind of collectible
2: what they tend to do is they have uh, stickers so when I was a kid there uh, that's
0: very right, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah there were soccer stickers so you would get a you get a book um, and the yep, book has yep like a double page spread for each team and there'll be a sticker for each of the starting players in the team and then a sticker with the badge and the idea is you collect them and then you go into school and you swap the ones that you've got multiples of with somebody else who needs that particular one so that was quite a big thing when I was a kid but obviously because they're stickers and you stick them in the book um, it's not one of those things that they don't have like a long life like the cards do particularly yeah. Okay, I I so curious, I, 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 rem-
0: I forgot all about forgot all about the stickers uh, for soccer because I I've seen those. Like yeah, yeah, yeah they, wow. Yeah,
2: yeah and, but, uh, and talking to me, you, you mentioned cricket earlier, and they for a long time they had um, cigarette cards for for cricketers. So if you bought a packet of cigarettes, I mean this is like back in the thirties and forties. If you bought a packet of cigarettes, it would have. Like a, ha- a painted um, picture of a cricket player, and then a little biog on the back. So there are lots of people who are into cricket who collect these old um, cricket cards, the cigarette cards. But um, but those obviously stopped a long time ago because they wanted to uh, they wanted to stop encouraging kids to smoke. Yep, absolutely.
1: No, I'm I'm curious. I mean, you have an, uh, your your wife is American, so probably. But do we talk funny? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm always like I've, I have friends who live in Australia that we went and visited, you know, for for a month a couple of years ago. And, you know, yeah, I'm just. I mean, Bob talks funny. I mean, that's a given. But so I guess more specifically, <laughs> do, do I have an accent to
2: you? Um, I mean, it's used to being right. Rec- it's a recognizably American accent, but we're so used to we have so much American TV over here, generally, yeah. drama and sitcoms and stuff. That, I mean, from the age of, of, you know, when we first start watching TV, we're exposed to American accents. And the same with, you know, pop music and pop stars coming over and being interviewed and stuff. So I think it's probably it's probably the accent other than British accents. And British accents vary really widely. So actually, American accents probably sound less unusual to me than some British accents do. Yeah, well, wow.
1: I remember when I was there, it's just – some Irish ladies who lived next to us. Uh, I got got a job at a bar called the Moosehead, mm. like I mentioned. It was down by St. Peter's, you know, cathedral. I, w- I went. Yeah. I went. I was back in London about five years when I went to find it. and It wasn't there, sadly. Uh, mm. It was tough, but you know, I just I began to be able to discern between them. I'm like, oh, that guy's an East Ender, you know. And, yeah. it's, it's kind of funny, <laughs> but uh, when when's the last time you came stateside to see a game? or or was so last that, game you saw uh was last game you saw in in London
2: No the last game was was at Christmas when we were over so that was when I went to see the Packers play the Ravens and that was um it it wasn't entirely weren't, weren't entirely sure that that was going to happen in the end because we did obviously we did our covid tests before we flew and me my wife and my daughter were all negative so we were clear to fly and then the morning after we arrived, my daughter tested positive for COVID, so she had to isolate in her room. Uh, about three days later, my wife tested positive, so she had to isolate. Um, and the, at that point, the whole family, was everyone was nervous that, that the next one would come down with COVID. So for a while, I was thinking, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the game. If I end up testing positive, I'm going to be... Trapped at home as well, but actually through the whole of the trip, I was negative the whole time. So I managed to, to get to Baltimore and see the game. So that was the last one that I went to. Your
1: your Twitter page, your UK Ravens page, is is really it's it's fun. I scrolled through mm, it yesterday to looked at a lot of your old tweets. Um, yeah, I I think it's you and one other gentleman who who uh, do all That's the posting right. on that. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Who's got the better I mean, sense of humor? Because there, there's some funny stuff up there that's...
2: Well, we complement each other quite well, I think. So Ian is much better at um, the sort of... Uh, the kind of social media meme kind of references. He's much better at, like, his little gifts and those kind of jokes, whereas I'm much more sarcastic. So we sort of complement <laughs> each other quite well with this <laughs> slightly different sense of humor. And we have... Um, we have some followers who can guess which one of us is is behind the tweet based on the, the kind <laughs> of the It is. So. I'm just
1: uh, saying, my my electric company's social media page. My marketing person is the fun, you know, touchy feely, warm stuff. And I'm, mm. the, you know, hey, check this out. But I, <laughs> I forget where it was. There's uh, there's one of him in an airport bar where he's like, check this out. I I forget what it was specifically, but. Really, good, really good. It's just, I, I, I just always enjoy someone who can, you know, you know, the, the touch of, you know, the touch of sense of humor plus the, inf- you know, informative posts. That's yeah. great. I really yeah. like your website or your, your Twitter. Yeah, no,
2: we're, we're quite pleased with how it's. Sort of, we're still slowly growing and adding people, which which is great. So, um, we're pleased with how it's gone. And then, how
1: long have you guys been doing the podcast?
2: So the podcast is just a year old now. We just started in pre-season last year, so that was our first year of doing it. So we've done about thirty, thirty-two, thirty-three episodes, something like that. It's been wow. uh, pretty much once a week since uh, since August last year. Okay. Wow. Interesting. I didn't get a chance to
1: listen to them, but I I noticed that, that's quite a few. You're that's that's a lot of content to produce.
2: It is. And it's I mean, the good thing is that, you know, when you've got a game every week, it's quite easy to to spend some time talking about the previous game. And then you start looking ahead to the next game. And, and so a lot of it, you're just reacting to stuff that has happened. Um, and we tried to have a guest every week and we pretty much managed that. So one of the things we were trying to do was get other other. UK fans on of the team that we were playing that week so you know the UK Bengals would come on or the UK Rams or whoever um, which gave us a chance to talk about how they became a fan of their particular team because it's always I mean you mentioned it's always interesting how people become fans of a specific team and it's especially interesting here in the UK because most people who are NFL fans don't have any ties to a particular place you know there's some people here who have family in a part of America or whatever but um, most people have picked a team for some reason. So we've we've had people who um, they, they were into Madden one particular year, so they picked a team that they used to play with on Madden all the, the time or uh, other people just that. sort of picked. Sorry?
1: Played on Madden. That's funny. I love yeah.
2: that. Sorry. Yeah, so that, that's one of them we have like amongst the UK Ravens. There's a few people who picked the Ravens because they were big fans of The Wire, the TV show. So they watched the wire, oh, wow. which is from Baltimore, and thought, "Okay, I'll support the Baltimore team." Um, so it's like the stories people have for how they pick their teams are always fascinating. So we would get we get other UK fans to come on and talk to us, which is which is you know it's been quite good fun. Shane, We're
0: almost out of time. We've got like thirty seconds left. I want to thank you for being on the show, and uh, we've got to have you back out again a regular regular segment. You you got a lot of nice information from uh England about the game and uh, it's interesting to hear, believe me. It's, it's
2: something sure, completely sure. different. Uh, oh, well, thank it, yeah, you for being be that, uh, thanks for having me guys. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much. Joe ten seconds and we're we're done. Great, well thank yeah, you guys it's for the game stuff. team.
1: Thank you, Shane. Okay. Yeah, I did a search for Seattle Seahawk Books on the Pigskin Books website for Shane. It says zero. So. Yeah. Zero. I'm
2: going to have to try. And, I'll work on that for next time. <laughs> 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 all right.
1: Thanks for listening. Thanks, Shane. we
0: we'll Thanks, guys. will see you next week show. Bye. Bye. Bye.